Before we get into today's episode of One Shining Podcast, want to shout out my guy, Cousin Sal. That's right. Cousin Sal has a new show on FanDuel TV, and it is called Cousin Sal's Winning Weekend. And if you want to get up to speed on all things NFL and gambling, then you must watch it on FanDuel TV on Fridays. It'll be right after Through the Ringer. So I'll be doing my show. And then if you stick around, you'll have Cousin Sal giving you some of the best bets that you could ever imagine in the world of NFL football right after. So go check it out. It is called Cousin Sal. Winning weekend. You can watch it on FanDuel TV Live or on the Ringer TV feed now. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we have a very, very special guest. If you've listened to every iteration of the college basketball shows that have been at the Ringer, then you've heard um, Woody Durham's voice uh, as he leads in and talks about Chris Weber taking a timeout that he did not have in the 1993 title game. Apologies to all the Fat Five fans. Apologies to Jalen Rose. Apologies to Chris Weber. But that is how we open up these shows because that is kind of my, uh, you know, the 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 impetus as to why we're here, right? The 1993 National Championship game. And today we have the son of Woody Durham, Wes Durham, who is the voice of the Atlanta Falcons. He calls games for the ACC Network. He's going to come on the show, tell us some great stories from his broadcasting career. Also tell us about interviewing Coach K and Roy Williams together. That did happen. Um, so we're going to have him break it all down. Very excited to have Wes on the show. Feels like a very full circle moment in general. Um, Kyle, are you fired up about this? And are you fired up about uh, another episode of One Shining Podcast? I am about to go check my blood pressure because I don't have a backup camera and I'm still messing <laughs> around with Sunrise Ford. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. Technical foul. All right, joining us now on One Shining Podcast, he's a very special guest. And before every single episode, you hear us say, but first, Woody Durham. And now we have the <laughs> son of Woody Durham, the great Wes Durham. Oh. Wes, it is great to hear your voice and great to see you, man. Hey, thank you. I am. Uh, I don't know if I'm great, but it's uh, it's <laughs> cool to be with you. And uh, thanks for asking me to be a part of this. And uh, I tell you what, the one thing I will say right off the top is you have kept my dad's memory five and a half years after he passed away alive because... People who had no idea who my dad is. I mean, no clue whatsoever. All they know is, but first, Woody Durham. And I'll have people stop me, literally, that say, <laughs> oh, you're Woody Durham from like One Shining Pod, son? Oh, man. Yes, yes, that's who I am. In <laughs> fact, and, and people who know who I am and know my background start laughing like, really, Tate Frazier's done that to you, huh? I said, absolutely. So there you go. What a world that we live in. Well, that, those people, those people must not get it because uh, for me, you know, your your dad, the voice of the Tar Heels, is the it kind of the soundtrack of basketball in my life, you know. And I, uh, I was just so appreciative, right, to be able to use that clip and to be able nice. to kind of call back because to me, it's kind of like uh, the big boom of my basketball life, right? The 1993 title game, and I was even to start there with you, just what you were right out of college, right at the time, so. Mm -hmm. How do you, what do you remember kind of like of some of those calls, right? Because you were, you had the same calling in life and then 93, yeah. um, you know, it's Dean's second title. That team beats the fab five. We get the travel that wasn't called, but then we get the, you know, timeout and all that sort of stuff. What, what do you remember from that moment in 93? So 1992, 93 was my first year at Vanderbilt. Wow. doing the games. Uh, I had been hired to do the games at Vanderbilt, uh, kind of a surprise move for me. Uh, I had been at Marshall, uh, graduated college from Elon, went to Radford, did three years there, got the Marshall job, which was a football basketball combination radio job. 
And then after literally almost a year to the day, I got the opportunity to go to the SEC and do Vanderbilt. Well, it just so happens the first year I did Vanderbilt, 92-93, they won the SEC's regular season. They won 28 games. They went to the Sweet 16 in Seattle. Ironically, they were upset by Temple in the uh, Sweet 16, who then lost to Michigan mm-hmm. in the West Regional Final out in Seattle. Nonetheless, you asked what I remember about the game that night. I remember the travel in the backcourt, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Right. Um Never talked about, by the way. Like, a lot of people like to parse over that. Right. Right. But the funny part is, too, Billy Packer and I, God bless Billy, um, Mm -hmm. when Mark and I started doing the TV show, we'd spent some time with Billy. And Billy and I talked specifically about the no travel call in the backcourt and how Weber drags his feet. There's no doubt. He's traveled. The Carolina bench loses it. Yeah, right. Because it's right in front of them. Bill Guthridge is in the air. He's lost so bad. (laughs) And, um, and Billy goes, it's it, if it doesn't turn out the timeouts called, it might be one of the biggest missed calls in NCAA history. I'm thinking, wow. Okay. And he said, imagine if we had all the cameras and all the technology we have now, like they, like they showed in that last fight. And that was when Auburn and Virginia played. Remember the Auburn Virginia backcourt call and all that. He said, imagine we had all that Weber drags his feet on Monday night and it's the national championship. And, you know, Billy was terrific like that. So I think of that play and my dad's call is, is great when the timeout in the corner and Mick goes, there are no timeouts. <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, but I also think too of, you know, and it's something my dad talked about when I was growing up and I really didn't realize it, Tate. It's the friendships that germinate off of that. Um, you know, George Lynch and I are represented by the same guy. Uh, Pat Sullivan, I've gotten to know very well in the last decade. Montross has, Eric, in, has been an incredible, he and Laura and their family have been incredible people to my mom and my dad, and especially since my dad passed away. And, you know, you think about the friendships and the people you've met, like, you know, there are people on that, like Derek Phelps and my brother have met crossing paths time and time again. And it's just, it's amazing the way it works out, but the play was unbelievable. Coach Smith solidified his legacy, in my opinion, that night. And uh, and Carolina, I think, helped make Michigan a storyline. I mm. think Michigan, had Michigan won the national championship and then had it pulled away, I, I think we would look at it differently than we do that a team that missed it twice and is, it, it's a change, it's a, and you know this, it's a cultural team that changed college basketball. It changed basketball, really for all the things with the baggy shorts and the black socks. And I'll say this, I sat courtside and watched them in Seattle in the Sweet 16 in 93. It was an amazing show. It's mm. as good as any show going up and down the floor that I ever saw. And, you know, I saw Kentucky in person twice that year, obviously, doing Vanderbilt, who was the number one team in the country and went to the Final Four. And I every bit believe Michigan was the better team. Michigan was the best team that year not to win the national championship. Yeah, and it's uh like the whole travel situation with Weber, it you know, because he was so flustered is the reason I think he did call the timeout in the first place. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like this weird basketball um, you know, karmic moment in yeah. time. And then 
just on the flip side of that, you know, you're an ACC country. I grew up in ACC country. The tobacco road of the whole story that Duke in 92 beats the Fab Five and they win the national championship. Then the next year, Dean Smith and the North Carolina Tar Heels do the same thing. Right. Um, you know, they're, and then both teams arguing over which one was better and who beat the better team and all that sort of stuff. The conversations that come out of that are always intense and always entertaining. And that's yeah. what I wanted to ask you about because you talked about Billy Packer. Um, you and Mark did your show together. Um, I just loved it because it was kind of like the second generation of these legendary figures that talked about the game in <laughs> Tobacco Road. H how fun was that to kind of have the, the second generation and you guys have all these stories and you're able to connect the dots for people that are younger? I mean, th that was always really cool to see. And it happens in the NBA now with Steph Curry, Del Curry, you know, yeah, we've seen yeah. the second generation. So how was that, you know, doing the show together? It was fun. It was great. Mark's as brilliant a person in that environment Tate, has anybody ever been around, to be honest? Mm. I mean, he was just incredible. And well, that's kind of how Billy was. I mean, Billy was oh, always Billy able was, to connect yeah, the dots I mean, of, yeah, right. Billy and my dad got along, but everybody, the, okay, here we go. Everybody thinks Mark and I kind of like grew up together and knew one another for years. <laughs> and reality is that we didn't know each other very well at all until I started doing kind of like a weekly thing on his Sirius XM afternoon show, mm. talking about the ACC. And then he called me one day after the, um, he called me one day after the show was over, uh, the, his afternoon show was over, and he said, hey, SiriusXM starting these college channels. They want me to do the ACC show, and I told him I'd do it if they hired you. And I said, okay. And we started doing that show, ironically, right as my dad passed away, March of 2018. And that show, because of what SiriusXM was trying to do and social media promoting it, I guess, we ended up, kind of showcasing what they wanted Packer and Durham to be on television once ESPN launched the network, right? So in October of 19, no, October of 18, we'd been doing the show since March. And in October of 18, we had dinner with some people one night who were consulting on the project who wanted to know if we'd do the television show. Would we take the radio show and make it a television show? And they said, hey, would you mind coming to Charlotte to do it? I said, no, not as long as we work out, you know, like games and things that I want to do that I was already doing on TV, you know, would that be possible, right? And they said, yes. And then the conversations progressed, obviously, it led to the show. But we had a great time. Um, it was awesome to be with them. I mean, it was really fun. The problem was, is that in order for me to achieve professionally what I wanted to do, I had to, I, I, we had to make a decision and they made a decision too. They elected to move the show to afternoons. When it was mornings, it fit better for me to be able to do games. When it went to afternoons, it was going to be a lot more difficult. And so that, that precipitated kind of the, the change for me. And the other part about it, in all honesty, was that, you know, I, my home was in here in Georgia, at Cartersville, where we live yeah. outside of Atlanta. My wife's hometown and Trevor Lawrence's hometown. That's what I, I, I guess I'm <laughs> obligated to say. Uh, but, the um, it, it was just tough living in, in two spaces and trying to accomplish everything we were doing, but we had a blast. I mean, and now we're on the road kind of like I'm doing primetime ACC football. The PM shows there on Fridays. He's around and we still talk. I mean, he and I are, have still a very good friendship and I was blessed to work with him the time I did. And I hope we get to do some stuff down the road again, too. Yeah, it was great for like, uh, you know, my dad and, you know, his generation and what they like to hear and then yeah, being able they to connect. Loved it, didn't they? Oh, my God. I mean, my, my dad's like sending me clips and it's like, this is what you and Titus need to be talking about. You know what I mean? This is 
this is the real this is the real nuts and bolts that was happening in college basketball. So it, it was the best. I, I really Thanks. enjoyed it. And it uh, you know, it, for people that grew up in the heart of the ACC, it just, you know, it was a very familiar way to talk about the game. But I do want to talk about that because I love when, you know, people say it's the art of something, the art. But like, I think there is an art to the play by play. And you had your dad who was, uh, you know, yeah. one of the best. Um, and, you know, when we were kids, we'd have Woody on the radio. Right. And Woody was a little bit quicker than the actual television broadcast. So you'd hear Woody say and bang, you know, or three or whatever it was. And then you'd watch it live. So it was always great. How much of like the play by play in the modern times, like how much have you had to, I guess, change like for the TV audience, now your own camera and things like that? How much has it evolved with the play by play call in the modern uh, version versus what like kind of the principles that you learned from your dad and other people back in the day? Um, I think my style, well, my first of all, my preparation is all framework by what he did. Right. Because that's the way I learned to get ready for games. Uh, I changed along the way to modernize, um, you know, some of my preparation, including using a computer, which he jokingly referred to as cheating. Um, (laughs) I think what has happened with me in television is, is that in TV, well, it's an analogy I was told a long time ago is TV, um, TV's an analyst game, radio's a play-by-play game. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of truth to that. I feel like with working with Roddy Jones in TV the last four years and now working with Tim Hasselbeck on football and doing a lot of basketball with Dan Bonner over the years, who I've worked primarily with at ACC Network and with Raycom before, you really find out the analyst habits and the analyst you know, pros and cons. And I think there's value in that. TV is also a bigger game to take. You're dealing with about 30 people on your crew. You want to try and throw the perfect game every time. Radio... It's a play-by-play driven game. Like when I do Falcons on Sunday on radio, Dave Archer and I have worked together. This is our 20th season together. We don't even have to look at each other during the game, right? I mean, he knows where I'm going from my cadence and rhythm and things like that. To me, the, the craft is always, you're always working. You're always trying to get better at what you do. You're always trying to stay out of ruts and routines and things of that nature. Um, you know, I have some little tricks that I use to... Um, uh, I have some tricks that I use to kind of like keep myself honest on radio. Like every time I write a three down in my play by play for football, I'll try and give time and score, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and, there's a lot tele- of scene setting that is, you know, on radio yeah. that there, there's such a purity and an art form to like being able to see what you're saying. You know what I mean? That yeah, I feel you, like it, it, that's what your dad that. was so great at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what you're trying to accomplish, I think on the backside, as much as anything else is you're trying to bring one person to where you are. Mm-hmm. And if you can bring one person, you're actually bringing more than one person. So for me, I'm always thinking uh, when I'm doing the NFL, for example, when I'm doing the Falcons on Sunday, I think of a guy who's either riding in his car around Atlanta, doing errands with his family, or just riding in the car, period, or the guy cutting his grass. <laughs> I'm thinking of those two guys or those two yeah. people because those people are going to listen longer than 15 minutes. Now, they're radio programmers who are like, right now turning off the podcast going, what is that guy has no idea. He's not thinking about the quarter window, you know, stuff like that. That's a fact. I'm not, I'm not thinking about the 15 minute guy that lingers in needs to be brought up. And every 15 minutes, I got to update the game. I'm thinking about the long form guy, uh, Mm. in television. I think about the second screen person, to be honest with you, the second screen person is somebody that I am intently focused on because 
two years ago, I got a piece of research. I still can't believe that 60 some percent of people that watch games in their home, watch it with a second screen. And if that's the case, then we need to start thinking about the second screen. And believe it or not, my producer in football and I, we've had conversations about that. You know, how do we incorporate analytics? How do we incorporate something different, right? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, in all honesty, Tate, you gotta, you gotta consider in this world. Yeah. And it's evolving, uh, on the daily and nobody has the answers. And I just find it all very fascinating. I do want to ask you about some of your favorite calls because you've Mm. been a part, um, for the people that don't know at home, you were the voice of the Georgia tech yellow jackets. And I remember when, uh, you know, Carolina would play Georgia Tech. It was like Woody's on the call. Then you were on the call for Georgia right. Tech. And, you know, everybody in the North Carolina family is like, we got to get Wes, <laughs> you know, back, back in the fold with us. But you had some uh, some amazing moments during your time with the Yellow Jackets. I wanted to ask you about the first one because I remember this one vividly. Calvin Johnson's game winning catch against Clemson. <laughs> um, my wife's favorite call. Oh, my wife's man. favorite call of all yeah. time. Yeah, what what was that like in the moment? I mean, and I think that was the moment we all realized like Mega that was when Megatron was born in my mind. Yeah, it's his first college road game. It's his second college game ever. Wow. And it's AB it's ABC Saturday night at Clemson. Process all of that. <laughs> it's also the catch that everybody sees is his third touchdown catch of the night after just this gigantic gaff by Clemson, right? On a punt. And it's all over YouTube. I mean, I'm I'm not. It, ba- this is back when there was a term Clemsoning, right? People would yes. say that, right? Yes. And Tommy Bowden, ironically, was still coaching Clemson, mm-hmm. and this was Clemsoning, not Dabo. Um, it's his third touchdown catch, but it's not his best catch for a touchdown. It's a great catch. <laughs> his second touchdown catch is the one that is phenomenal because he has to bend back between two guys who both end up in the NFL and make this grab. Of a, of a, and he's phenomenal. But see, he was phenomenal going in the door. That's the thing about him. Rare, we get these guys that are phenoms. That's like Zion. Why was Zion mm-hmm. phenomenal? Because we had this expectation built up where he was like bringing not the eighth day, he was bringing eight, nine, and 10 to the table, right? And sure enough, I mean, he was like all that. And then it was like some. better when it's better than advertised and it's been overhyped. I mean, that's when people fall over, right? Okay. That's Calvin Johnson. Mm-hmm. So like he's coming out of Sandy Creek High School and it's like Florida State, Notre Dame, Georgia, and he really likes engineering. So Georgia Tech's involved and nobody thinks he's coming to Georgia Tech. Yeah, There's right. no way he's coming to Georgia Tech. This is the time where you go to Florida State, where you go to Notre Dame, you might even go to Tennessee, you know, wherever. Right. And all of a sudden his mom is a Ph.D. in education, Dr. Erica Johnson. His dad works literally for the railroad. And Calvin wants to stay close to home. And Chan Gailey and the former Auburn quarterback who was on staff, Patrick Nix, and a wide receivers coach, Buddy Guys, do a phenomenal job recruiting him. He comes to Georgia Tech. So how good is he when he gets to Georgia Tech? So he's in the summer workouts. Now, he's not one of these January enrollee guys, right? Because in 2004, that wasn't what it became, right? In football. So I remember sitting in my office at Georgia Tech and James Butler, who was a safety for Chan, who was a little older, comes in my office and that's typically, you know, kind of, that's what happened when you stay a place long enough, guys end up coming by, just hanging out in your office to wait on something else, class or lunch or whatever the case may be. So it was not uncommon for players to come by. Now in the summer it was, but I happened to be in the office and JB comes by the office. Now James Butler later played in the NFL and won a Super Bowl with the Giants. So this is not like some cup of Joe from Habersham County showing up. Okay. This is a guy who's a real football player. 
He was second team all ACC, by the way, in 2003. So in 2004, he's a real football player on this team, like ACC, the whole bit, right? And I said, well, how's summer workouts going? He said, really good. And I said, the freshman, any good? He looks at me and he says, Wes, Calvin Johnson is the best player on the football team. (laughs) And I said, James, he's 18 years old. He goes, Calvin Johnson, Wes, is the best player on the football team. And I said, like, no joke. He said, I'm telling you, what's the Dick Vitale say? Diaper dandy, baby. I went, yeah, "Yeah." he goes, that's exactly (laughs) what he is. Calvin Johnson, the first snap of his freshman year, they threw a pass to him. I mean, like the first snap, the play was to Calvin Johnson. And that night at Clemson, to be honest with you, when he makes the catch in the end zone, I'm like, holy cow, this kid has taken all of the hype. I mean, he was on the cover of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's college football section, Mm -hmm. like the preseason preview thing. He takes all the hype and goes north of that. And when you can do that, Tate, I mean, how many guys can you count on one hand that have done that? Right. Right. Zion and Calvin. Mm-hmm. That's it and for it, me. And if it happened, what, you know, five years, 10 years later, I mean, even as much as we all have the mystique about Calvin Johnson and Megatron, I mean, it would be tenfold probably because of how incredible it was. And it's, I mean, it's still, amazing. I was 11 years old at the time. And I, I mean, it still sticks with me. And I remember the call and I remember being on Sports Center, and I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, I mean, this guy is I, absolutely incredible. Um, the, the other one that I had in my mind uh, as far as the Georgia Tech run um, 2003, my family went up to New York City for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So we're Ishmael there that Muhammad. weekend. This, this team, this team, uh, Georgia Tech, we went to Foot Locker. We're in, my brother and I are in Foot Locker, and you know, we're in Times Square. The whole Georgia Tech team walks in. Luke Sincher, sure. uh, Will Bynum, all these guys, right? And Jared Jack, they, they're all so nice. And we're like, man, this Georgia Tech team is awesome. Paul Hewitt took pictures, signed an autograph for us. We're like, I, I really like this Georgia Tech team. I, I hope they have a great year. We watched them in the uh, preseason NIT tournament. They look, I mean, you know, you're gobsmacked at how great they were. And then they I beat remember UConn like they owned them that night at the Garden. Uh, in- incredible. I mean, what do you remember about that season and specifically the Will Bynum layup in the Final Four? Because I, I think that was one of the calls and one of the moments too that sticks out for me. Yeah, um, that team was a remarkable team because its expectation level was moderate to low when the season started. Um, it really turned out that Bynum and Jarrett Jack were just perfect together. And Paul was smart enough to get to a three-guard lineup pretty quick yeah, with it. right. And so he put Jack and Bynum, and now Marvin Lewis, who's the athletic director at George Mason, believe it or not, uh, and then Schentzer, and, uh, you know, you had B.J. B.J. Elder, yeah. B.J. Elder, and you had, uh, you had Ish, and Clarence Moore came off the bench, and Luke in the middle. Uh, two things I think carried the team. One, Jarrett Jack went on fire in February and never stopped. Will Bynum was uh, Will Bynum was really, really good and much better, never got the credit he deserved defensively. And I think that what you had with Elder and you had with Ish, Elder could go get, like, and there's a great game that year in Atlanta where Elder and Rashad McCants go back and forth against one another. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one has 35, one has 31. It's a Raycom game on a Wednesday night at 9 o'clock and all that. And it's just a remarkable game. Um, and then you get to the ACC tournament, and you, play, you beat Duke, you snap their winning streak at Cameron. And when they snapped Duke's win streak at Cameron, everybody jumped on board. And from that point on, Tate, it was a ride. And we got to San Antonio, 
and I really didn't know Georgia Tech historically under both Cremens and Paul had a um, had a propensity to get to the big stage and then go cold from the perimeter. Mm-hmm. So when they started in San Antonio, and remember Tony Allen was playing on that team for Texas, I mean, uh, for Oklahoma State, uh, the Grahams were on that team. John Lucas III was on that team, right? And so when you get to that stage, you're, Oklahoma State had beaten St. Joe's and Jameer Nelson, that crowd in the, in the championship of the East, right? And so you get to that stage, you don't know how they're going to go, who's going to carry this team, and all of a sudden Marvin Lewis catches fire in the first half. Well, then you get to the second half, and all of a sudden, Oklahoma State starts making their run. Joey Graham makes a play. Tony Allen made a play or two. Next thing you know, it's like a one-point game, three minutes, you know, whatever, and all of a sudden, you're going to the wire. But in my mind, I had never a doubt that Bynum was going to go to the basket. <laughs> right. the, the high pick-and-roll play they ran was the play they'd run all year long. And I know Eddie Sutton had scouted it. I mean, his, t- his teams were too well-coached not to, but Bynum was the toughest guy on the team. No matter what happened, the kid who transferred from Arizona, who grew up in Chicago and played at Crane Tech, was the toughest guy on the team. He was always going to take the hardest shot. If you go back and look at the uh, regional championship, the, 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 the game that, to me, solidified the team's legacy was beating Kansas in overtime in St. Louis in front of 32,000 people, of which 31,500 <laughs> were, were Kansas for, fans. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like playing a road game. Uh, literal road game at, at the Edward Jones Dome. And so, to me, Bynum made tough shots against KU. And there was no doubt that, to me, Bynum was going to be the guy to take the shot against Oklahoma State. And it's, fortunately for me, and I've said this, I've been blessed in my career a lot of ways, Tate. But one of the biggest blessings is to always realize that it's not you, it's the game, and it's the player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whether it's Will Bynum or Calvin Johnson at Georgia Tech, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones and the Atlanta Falcons, or whatever the case may be, you're always blessed to be the guy talking about it. And you hope you and literally you hope you don't jack it up. That's yeah. The, that's the real that's the real challenge. Absolutely. And then, you know, we were talking about what ifs, right? The biggest what if in the championship history could have been the travel by Chris Weber. My biggest what if about Georgia Tech basketball, what if Chris Bosch came back? I mean, what what if Chris Bosch was <laughs> You need to have Paul Hewitt on this podcast. That's what you need to do. You I would love that. I love Coach jump, Hewitt. Jump me off this and get <laughs> Hewitt on here. I often wondered if Bosch had come back, would that team have been as good? Mm. Because in all it would have honesty, been so through it would have been so directly through Chris, right? Yeah. And remember too that Ed Nelson transferred. Mm-hmm. That's right. right. Yep. I mean, Ed Nelson was standing on the Connecticut bench when they beat Georgia Tech for the national championship. He had been the ACC Rookie of the Year. You know, I mean, he's one of those guys too. So you're you're kind of thinking, what would Chris Bosh have been like had he had he been a part of this? And it's it's a weird deal, man. Um, you know, Paul did such a beautiful job with Cliff Warren and Dean Keener and Pete Zaharis building that program, and. It was fun to be a part of it. And it was cool for me. My first year at Georgia Tech was Marbury. That was his first year. Stefan and I, I like to tell people Stefan and I arrived at the same time. Um, <laughs> but I had a ride then and I had a ride. I had a ride in 96 with Marbury to the Sweet 16. I had a ride with those guys in 04. And it's, you know, you hang around this business long enough, you hope you get lucky with stuff like that. And I've been lucky a couple different times like that. Yeah, I, uh, you know, back then, Carolina basketball was having a little bit of an identity crisis right yes, after Guthridge. And, you know, obviously, Darty was figuring it out. So, you know, there were other teams in the ACC that kind of 
captivated me as a kid, right? Whether it be Maryland, right? With Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, John Gilchrist, all those Ooh. guys. Um, love those teams. Love the Wake Forest back then. And Skip Prosser. I went to Skip Prosser's basketball camp. Did so, you really? Yeah, okay. Justin Gray, uh, you know, Teron Downey, all those Ish guys. Smith. Oh man, just yeah. Robert and O'Kelly. Then, Did you go Robert O'Kelly? Were you a Robert O'Kelly guy? I, I had I had Vetus Danilus was my uh Vetus was one Danilus? Of, <laughs> yeah, that was one <laughs> that was one of my uh Eric Williams. Was, Ooh, how right. good was Eric Williams been in Carolina Blue, huh? Oh man. I mean, he was a monster. I mean, and they were another one of the there were so many ACC teams back then that you could talk yourself into making a run in March because there was so much talent. Um, but I wanted to ask you about two coaches. Sure that I saw you, you were at the NC Coaches Association, two of the ones that were the, the faces of college basketball. And you right. know, we we had some great battles. Um, that's obviously Coach K and Roy Williams. What was it like to be able to MC and moderate those two guys at that moment? Because it looked very special. It was fun. Uh, I, it, it all came about very organically. Um, I guess I can tell you, we're, uh, it'll be announced sometime in the, uh, I guess in the next month. Mm. We turned it into a uh, one-hour television special. Oh, that's great! Yeah, it's a ninety-minute it visit. Uh, it's it's now one hour. It will be a one-hour piece, uh, part of the Legend series on ACC Network, and certainly available on ESPN and other platforms. I'm guessing. Um, it was an amazing experience. First of all, I had great help. That's the number one piece. Rob Reichley, uh, with Raycom, who helped produce it. Tate was just unbelievable. You got to get your arms around. I mean, right. you get Roy Williams and Mike Shashevsky together. You just can't start like, okay, so <laughs> you were born, right? I mean, you kind of, you kind of gotta, and and you also have to remember too. We've been asked to do this as part of the North Carolina Coaches Association's seventy fifth anniversary. Mac Morris at Page High School, who was Danny Manning's head head coach in high school, um, asked called me and said, "Would you be interested in doing this?" Yes, <laughs> he said. Then said, "Do you think anybody'd want to put it on television?" Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> first time they'd ever done anything like that. So you're cognizant of that. And then the second thing is you wanted to make sure that you off. There were 5,000 people in the Greensboro Coliseum when we were doing it, by the way. So you're doing it for television, but you're also doing it for these other folks that are there for a coaching clinic. So you want them to be able to take something from it, Tate, right? And you want them to be able to take real coaching concepts and, you know, how do you work through certain things, player development, those type things. What do you look for type things, right? All mm -hmm. that, that kind of coaching acumen. And so you get your arms around that part. Then you get your part arms around the fact that Mike Krzyzewski's coached the Olympic team. Roy Williams was in on the recruiting of arguably the greatest player in the history of the game and Michael Jordan. And they both have been influenced by two legendary figures in Dean Smith and Bob Knight. And then once you finally whittle that down, and this is where talking to other people who are not only in television or sports television, but other interviewers, I think could really help you. And I hope upon hope that it went as well as I think it did. Mm. Um, they were really complimentary of the visit. They had a fun time with it, things of that nature. So at the end, I think we did a pretty good job. And I'm excited to see what the finished product looks like. I've told them I don't want to see it until it airs. Uh, if they send it to me a couple of days out, maybe that's fine. But I never wanted to see it during the building process because I would say, well, what about that? Not this or whatever. So, um, but I'm, I'm really optimistic. It was his, I mean, I, I got, it's one of the few things I've thought about my dad a ton doing it. Yeah. Right. Of um, course. 
I, uh, and Roy asked me, he said, you think about your old man doing this? I said, absolutely. Um, and coach K the other thing too, Roy and my dad, Roy used to curry the television show across the state. Every Carolina fans heard the story. Well, that was my dad's television show and he knew Roy wanted some extra money. So that's why he called Roy to do it. Right. And then coach K, uh, despite Duke Carolina and all the things that go on with Duke Carolina, one of the nicest coaches and the most respectful coach my dad ever dealt with was Mike Krzyzewski. And when my dad got sick and announced he had aphasia, Mike Krzyzewski called my dad. Mm. And then he and Mickey were kind enough when my dad passed away to send us the rosary prayer that they had for my dad. And so I'll always have a spot for Coach K and the respect he and my dad have for one another. That's why I don't have a problem you know, tweeting a picture of my dad and Coach K interviewing on the floor. I don't have a problem being a part of the Duke Carolina game, you know, a couple of years ago in the second screen, which was amazing that we did with Pac and Debbie Antonelli. And that's, you know, kind of takes me away from Carolina a little bit, but shows you how much like the league history and stuff like that matters, I think. And I think it is, like you said, I mean, they're kind of like spawns of, you know, Coach Smith and Coach Knight. And Mm -hmm. the cool thing about what I think happened later in Kay's career, because, you know, Kay was, you know, he was antagonizing Dean early on um, because he was the up and comer. But when, you know, his career got into the second phase, it felt like Dean Smith had an influence on Coach Kay. Um, Because you're right. that 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 kind of um act would be something that Dean Smith would do. You know what I mean? And I think that was my favorite when I interviewed, you know, Coach K for the five star series. I asked him about oh, yeah. that. And he uh he basically kind of said, you know, you have to take from the greats and um and that Coach Smith was one of the greats. And then, you know, we have this rivalry. I've made a lot of, you know, comments about Coach K, jokes about it, you know what I mean? I I've, you know, but at the same time, there is this kind of respect at, at, at this baseline between the two schools. And when I saw them together and I saw them doing an interview and then, you know, at the Hall of Fame, you see Hansbro and Coach K taking a picture with How each other. That? I, mean, I mean, right. If you showed that to me as a kid, I, I may have thrown up in my mouth. But I mean, at this point, <laughs> it, you know, it's it's actually great to see. And it's great for the game. It's great for the sport. And um I, I just I just think it's really fascinating to see how far we've come into mm. that situation. But I do have to ask about 2022 at the Final Four. How insane was that? I mean, you know, obviously, you know, seeing those two schools play each other in the Final Four, did you think that would ever happen? I mean, I still can't believe it did happen. I, you know, let me tell you this. I don't know how the last regular season game was bananas. We all <laughs> right. agree with that, right? That was yeah, just of course. insanity <laughs> all over the place. Mm-hmm. Then to have it happen in New Orleans, of all places, at the Final Four, where Dean won both his titles. Correct. And here's Duke with Kay's last ride. And the Carolina thing was interesting because I, I, I'd be curious to know how many people really wanted that Duke game. Now that mm-hmm. it's happened and they won the game and all that, <laughs> fine. But prior to... I talked to enough people like, man, we don't need to be playing this. We won right. the game in well, Cameron. Th- I mean, think you about know. the ACC tournament, right? That, that All the Carolina fans with the ACC tournament was like, we don't need to play them. Nope. Uh, we'll, we're happy Virginia Tech beat us. You know what I mean? Good luck to them in yeah. the championship. I mean, how many people <laughs> wanted, you know, St. Peter's to win the game in Philadelphia? Right. I know some, some people's like, hey, look, if we lose to St. Peter's and they go fine. I'm like, why? So you don't play Duke? Come on. Really? Don't give right. me that. Right. And they're like, come on, Wes. You know, I'm no, no, no. Come on, Wes. I mean, 
you want to win the game, go to the Final Four, play them again. Mm. But here's the thing, and this is the part about this that makes Duke Carolina Duke Carolina Tate, okay? It's only these two that can do this. It's nobody else. They have this history about them that make them unique. It's the same thing I will tell you that if you drum up the college football people, this is why Auburn, Alabama are the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. This is why, you know, you get to the Michigan, Ohio State stuff. This is the basketball version. And this is the singular basketball version. I mean, think about it. The location, the history, the moments. I mean, Chris Duhon, pick and lay up at Smith Center to win, runs out of the gym. Austin Rivers. I mean, I can name as many gut wrenchers as I can for Carolina fans, as I can thrill moments for Carolina fans. Mm-hmm. I just did an interview with a guy last Thursday who asked me, you know, you know, in March, it's the 50th anniversary of Walter Davis's shot to be yeah, right. There eight you go. points in 17 seconds. So you take all the stuff and the HBO documentary is phenomenal that, you know, all those guys talk about the fights in the sixties and Larry Brown and Arne. Okay. Who else has got that again? Every time we come back to this discussion, it comes back to why Duke and Carolina and people, I know people nationally. I mean, you live in California, people get worn out on this stuff. Okay. Yeah. Guess what? It, but it delivers every I time. Billis Bill, and I are <laughs> right there together on this. Every time it delivers. It delivers like no other game. It delivers like no other college basketball game. I could argue it delivers like no other sporting event on a regular basis. And that's why it is what it is. And when we get it, we're fortunate. And now, here's the beauty of it. There were some people nationally that thought, well, Roy's retiring, Kay's leaving, it'll change. Wrong. Because Hubert and John both have the DNA. They both have the DNA. Yeah, I mean, you just said it. Walter Davis is his uncle. I mean, he's got it all the way back. Right? John Shire grew up in Chicago. Yep. Basically, you know, miles from where Kay grew up. I mean, they get it. And they're both great guys. And you know what they already have that, you know, we it's taken a while to get to? The respect for one another. Yeah. Right off the top. We Took don't a have a picture to... with each other in the, in the first games with each other last year, right? Right. And... Yeah. And we don't have to go through the growing pains. The 21st century contemporary respect level of John Shire and Hubert Davis is to be admired right? in this game. I mean, you know, and they, look, they both play in the portal. They both do this. They highly recruit. All the things you want of a sport that, quite frankly, could use a lot more of it. Um, and that's why Duke Carolina continues to deliver. I mean, I, I mean, you, you can tell me it's coming. Everybody knows it's coming. I mean, but <laughs> The final four in New Orleans was spectacular. And it's, it, again, we got a moment. Caleb Love over the outstretched mm. arms of what? Mark Williams, right? Yeah, Mark Williams. Exactly. I mean, you got Paolo Bancaro playing great. Number, You got the number one pick in that game. You got Mark Williams, who's the starting center of now the Charlotte Hornets in North Carolina. So, I mean, right. there's all these figures that are going to be around in the ether for some time. It's, and the conversation will continue. And yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's, I mean, think about it. All they did was just throw another page in the history book on it. It's, and it just happened to be Kay's last game. And, and, and nobody's it, ever handled, by the way, going out the door. Nobody's ever handled it better than Mike Krzyzewski did that night. I mean, that was pretty strong. He was really strong. 
Right. And that goes back into that maturation because a younger K may not have been, you know what I mean? Like that, that's kind of, that, that was kind of the moment, right? It would have been more Bob Knight than, and he respected, he responded more in the Dean Smith way, which I, I, I find it all very fascinating. And to show like the level of, the the gravitas of the moment after that game I'm standing in the you know little you know like outside area right um in the concourse and I'm standing there with my mom my brother we're all like we can't believe it right I mean you you could have smacked me in the face and I still would have tried to you know grasp reality at that point but Ryan Kelly you know former Duke Blue Devil sees me comes up to me you know shakes my hand says congratulations that was an awesome game you know and I for me, that was like, uh, wow, you know what I mean? Like, uh, as much as you can say whatever about Duke and we do say all these things about each other, there was this sportsmanship moment, which I thought was very kind of beautiful. And like you said, after the game, Kay was great about it, handled it well. And I know that he, in his mind, wanted to lead the sport like John Wooden did in 75 with the national championship, go right. out on top, undisputed greatest coach of all time. He'll still be in that conversation, as we both know, but he handled it with class and uh, that was it, it was a beautiful moment in college basketball. I'll, I'll never forget it. And the feeling in that building was insane. Yeah, and you got to find college basketball's challenge, Tate, in some ways right now, is to go find more moments mm-hmm. on a regular basis and make them last longer through the course of the season. Yeah. You know, the, the thing I fear the most about the sport is it's going to get snowed under when the college football playoff expands. It's going to get snowed. It's already kind of been snowed under by the expansion of the NFL schedule on the back end into the second week of February, right? That's that's the real tough part for college basketball because it's funny. I You know, I got a preseason magazine notice today on an email this morning while I was doing a show with Roddy Jones on Sirius XM, and I thought to myself, here we go, you know? Mm. I gotta I gotta go back and and the game has been because of the portal and because of all the other things, the game has become really volatile from a personnel standpoint. Where longtime fans like you and I, we we don't grasp the some people really have a hard time with that volatility as the rosters yeah. are concerned, right? It's really concerning to people who pull for a school regardless of the roster. And but they have an expectation that those players are gonna be there two, three, four years, right? In some cases. Five years. Well, we've had guys six years, four schools. I mean, that's, you know, Joe Bamisil yesterday denied that another year of eligibility thing. He's played at four schools, trying to play at four schools. That part of it is really, really tough for longtime college basketball fans because it set the table for what we're seeing in football now. All the volatility with the portal. Basketball has been doing that for two or three years. And that's, that's one of the concerns I have as it moves forward. And Carolina Duke are handling it better because they're more traditional based programs and people are staying with the, the like Kentucky and Kansas and right. The like blue that. bloods. Right. Right. It's a little more difficult if you're an up and coming program. I think, yeah. I, I think that's a tricky piece right there. One last thing was before right. I let you go. I was going to add, you were born in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is the home of the ACC. Are yeah. we worried about the future of the ACC? A lot of conference realignment, obviously SMU, Stanford, Cal being yes. added. So we got some good programs that are on the way. But um, just in general, how, you know, I mean, we've seen the ACC change over time anyway. I mean, even back in the day, it was the Southern Conference. It wasn't even the ACC. But <laughs> how, how do you feel about the, the future of the conference and, and how we talk about it? Is this the part where I tell you that my dad and I had one of the biggest arguments ever in our lives <laughs> on nine to twelves? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> my mom, my mom cleared the kitchen. You guys got to go to the garage if you're going to keep doing this. <laughs> right. um, and we did. Um, I am not concerned right now. 
Uh, I feel similarly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not concerned right now. And and here's where my bigger concern goes. My bigger concern goes if we don't have massive membership restruction, reconstruction of what college athletics is. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of th- college basketball is not factoring into what's going on. It's it's an add on to what's going on. It's like the next conversation. Like there's a primary conversation. It's the secondary conversation. Major college football is dictating all of this. Okay. Money in major college football is dictating all of this. The college football playoff expansion is dictating a lot of this. I think ACC basketball is still pretty good. I think it's going to be a pretty good year for the league. Best I can tell. Right. Um, You know, you got the brands. And then I think that actually think somebody like Clemson is going to be really good. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that kind of deal. But, Long term, now you're going to ask me in five years, I may have an entirely different answer, but right now I'm okay. If you call me in 29, we may have a different discussion. Mm. Um, And and Barry says, well, five years is a long time. Yeah, I know, because I've watched NIL and the portal blow up in the last five years. So, but put me on the table for we're good for three to five. And then after that, I probably want to have a little further discussion. Because right. that's when the first, and the reason I'm saying that is because that's when the first television agreement comes around for renewal of the Power Four conferences, and we need to find out then kind of what the game is and what that money's going to be. Because if that money, like we may be, and I'm gonna veer off here for real quick. This is Brian Curtis, this is part of the Press Box podcast. Not part <laughs> there of yours. you go. Um, we may be at the peak of the money. Okay, we may be at the peak of all the conference money right now for television. And is everybody comfortable with that? Because that's a real question. I think everybody's got to answer. And it's not a question you and I can answer. It's a question that conferences and universities have to answer. Are we okay that this will be the biggest cut you're ever going to get? And when this deal's over, it's going to go down. And if everybody's comfortable with that, then I think we're going to be okay. If it goes like this and keeps going up, then, you know, the game could change a little bit. Right. It feels like it's on exponential growth right now and everybody's expecting fifty million to the next time around they want a hundred million to the next time one hundred and fifty million and when right. does the arms race end and, and what does it end up being and looking like in the end? So I think that's what everyone's kind of worried about. Um the doomsday effect of it all. But I, I'm right there with you. I, I think three to five years we can hold on. Um and, and we'll see what happens on the other yeah. side. Um, Wes, thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can we find all your amazing work? I know you got to go to Clemson right now to call that game, but uh, yeah. what, what, where else can we find all your stuff? Uh, you know what? The beauty of way we process it now is good, right? Um, I am ACC Network on Saturdays for football. That's uh, great. Yeah, and it's been fun to be a part of ACC Network and ESPN certainly the last five years. I am uh, still doing the Falcons, so if you're outside the metro Atlanta and southeast, you can certainly process that on Surrey 6M's NFL which is great. Um, unbelievable tool that uh, people have to process. We have Falcon fans in Europe that listen to games. It's crazy. It's great. Yeah, what um, a world. And then I'm doing some Sirius XM on the ACC channel, 371, twice a week, once a week for sure. It's fun to do. And uh, on social media every once in a while, I'll give you a piece of information, show <laughs> you a picture, promote a game, you know, things like that. I'm, uh, I'm more of a processor than a producer when it comes to that stuff. But... Uh, it's fun to uh, interact with people as we go along the year for sure. 
Absolutely. Well, Wes, thanks so much for coming on One Shining Podcast. We'll definitely have you back. We'll be supporting, and I'll also be <laughs> supporting my guy, Arthur Smith, my my Tar Heel. So yeah. uh, I'll be pulling for the Falcons, uh, you know, slut- subtly, you know, a little bit under the radar, but I like that team, and uh, I- I'll be tuning in, and appreciate you coming on the show, man. Tate, anytime. Thank you so much for having me. All right, there you have it. Wes Durham, what a legend. Uh, we needed him to be on the show, Kyle. We needed him to come through to give us the blessing to say, yes, all these years of using But First Woody Durham is okay by me. Uh, we, needed, we needed to hear that, and we needed to hear him um, you know, you know, know, recant some of the great stories that he's had throughout the years. And like I said before, just listening to his voice, it feels like listening to Woody, and it feels like I'm a kid again, and it makes me happy to hear college basketball like that. I feel like I, I got really lucky uh, striking gold with that in the ACC network. I owe them a uh, a lot of favors for making it possible to have Wes on the airwaves for me um, during many a Carolina game, both football, both basketball. Um, you know, he's called some baseball games. So, so we love to see it in general. And uh, I'm happy to be here to talk about some uh, some good stuff that's happening in the world of college basketball. Kyle, you've been doing this the past couple of shows. You've been putting together links um, of college basketball headlines. So I, I want to start. Do you have a top headline that you want to put out to the people? Um, and then we'll get into the rest of the shout outs. But is there something that is nipping at your heels right now in the college basketball world? I mean, I think the 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 funkiest stuff is just the the transfer stuff, right? I mean, that's what yeah. everyone seems to have an opinion on. So, I mean, some of these are funny and some, but this one seems like the most uh, sticking to our, our principles sort of thing. So uh, it's the college basketball uh, insider. This is the headline. Slams mm. NCAA over Joe. Do you know how to say this gentleman's name? Bama Seal. Bama, Bama Seal. So this there seems like it would be his, what, his fourth transfer or his third transfer, fourth team, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. To VCU. Coming from and, Oklahoma, uh, right? This, yeah. yeah this, and Jay, Jay Billis is literally fist at the sky screaming, it is wrong. Yes, this is a great moment. A guy did this uh, for, I think it was a week one college football. It was one of the announcers, too. Like, this kid had transferred, and he wasn't able to play right away, and his parents were at the game. And he, he was just like, shame on the NCAA, like, uh, during the the broadcast. So this is permeating, you know, not just college basketball, but college football, too, and I'm sure some other things. But I guess it's just that, like, when is it too much? Like, when is it, you know, they try to take a stand because everyone says they have no backbone with this, and then they do it, and then you get Jay Billis, who everybody likes, being like, shame on the NCAA. So I don't know what I don't know what they're supposed to do. Also, I'm, I never want a kid to be like, oh, I'm screwed now. But I mean, what? It's the third transfer. You, you get a lot of people on the other side. It's like, when does it end? So I don't know. This poor kid's caught in the crossfire. It's uh, like you said, Kyle, we're caught in the crossfire, but also the NCAA, they have no power, but they also have this little fraction of power and they are just sticking their chest out right now. You mentioned the other decision. That's Tez Walker, who's a receiver that transferred to North Carolina. Mac Brown has led a PR campaign. Uh, you know, he went on Pat McAfee's show. He went on Ryan Rosillo's podcast. I saw the other day talking about um, the Tez Walker decision. Mental health is involved, but the NCAA, like I said, they have no authority. Um, as our guy Eric Cartman used to say back in the day. And because they have no authority, they are trying to use the little bit, the, the modicum that they have, they are trying to use it to the max. And now they have this two-time transfer rule that they put in because the coaches were complaining about it. And now they're throwing it back in the faces of the same coaches that did complain about it by saying, no, we're enforcing the rule that you guys said that you wanted, but they're doing it um, in the worst way possible as they are prone to do. This is what the NCAA does. 
They try to take things and and make it as dumb as possible, and they have no common sense. And it leads to people like Jay Billis, who is a very smart guy, to say, no, this is wrong. This is dumb. This is nonsensical. Why are you doing this? And the NCAA's response is, because we can. Um, And that is pretty much what it comes down to. And the NCAA, as much as NIL and all this other stuff is happening with Congress, and they're worried about their ability to kind of keep a stranglehold of college athletics, this is their one rule right now that they are enforcing because they can enforce it. And it's dumb because a lot of these kids transferred before the rule was even in place. So it's basically you've done something that you was six months ago legal is now illegal. Now you're getting punished for a new rule that was put in as if it's been there the entire time. And that is why it is chaos. That is why people like Mac Brown are going crazy. And the other day, the NCAA put out a report uh, you know, via... Um, some of the media figures that are out there saying that they are worried about their own mental health because they are getting death threats um, because of the Tez Walker decision. So now they are thinking about suing Mac Brown um, and North Carolina about their own rule that they put in. So um, the NCAA is now going to play the victim um, in a situation that they are um, responsible for at pretty much every level. But it just gets more ridiculous. I feel bad for this kid. I feel bad for Tez Walker. Um, the NCAA, you can't say that, you know, you can't dismiss the fact that they were getting death threats from idiots. So um, I can't say that, like, they're completely in the wrong. But they're also create they've created this uh, ridiculous situation. And now they're trying to say it's not our fault. Who did this? Um, we are trying to figure out the guy that did this. Um, and we all know who did this. It is the NCAA, but it's very vintage form, Kyle, because, uh, like I said, they've been threatened existentially and they've come back with the hammer. Now the hammer is uh, made of rubber, but it's still a hammer. And, uh, and that's really what they care about. So yeah, but poor Bamisil, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but like I said, it's all about the NCAA showing their powers. So congratulations, the NCAA, we heard your engine roar. Uh, we saw you drive by, and we still think you're idiots. Um, but we get it. We'll we'll leave it there. Poor Bamasil. Yeah, because this kid also. I mean, he cited mental health, which is you know I think I don't know par for the course when you're like stuck in something like this. I'm not saying it's not going on, but he also has a like a better reason. Of course, because you have he's, his dad's issues. ill, so he yeah. moved ten miles away from his dad when he to transfer to VCU, and they're like, no, not good enough. Like that that should that should be the hands off. Like, okay, man, you got it. But uh, this just seems like a an odd one to put your foot down on. Well, you would think that at the end of the day, the NCAA would actually try to talk to the kids or, or talk to the student athletes. I shouldn't call them kids like Coach Cal. Let's talk to the student athletes and say, okay, what is the issue here? Let's try to do what's best by you because that is the, the maximum that they promote, right? We're going to do best by the student athlete. But in both these cases, uh, reportedly, they have not even spoken to the student athletes. So they are, they are com- commenting on their mental health without even talking to the student athletes. So they have no idea what the mental health looks like. And it doesn't seem like they really care. And that is why we are in this position and everyone's saying, wow, these guys are frauds. Um, and <laughs> Jay Billis is leading the charge. Thank God for Jay Billis because we need a moral police out there. I don't want to be the guy. I just want to laugh at how dumb, I don't, you know, this, we're just, this is idiocracy. We are just here to laugh. Um, my, my name is not sure. And I'm not sure any of this makes any sense. And uh, we're trying to, we're trying to sift through it, but Joe Bamisil, pour one out for the guy. I hope he figures it out. Cause like you said, Kyle, just trying to get close to home, trying to play some basketball, trying to play for VCU. VCU deserves better. Um, Tez Walker deserves better. The NCAA, 
I guess we got to be nice and say they deserve, um, you know, our thoughts and prayers as they deal with these um, internet threats from 12 year olds. So we'll leave it at that. Um, but yeah, that's the big headline. Joe Bamisil. The next big headline. I don't know if you saw this, Kyle. Bobby Hurley says that ASU is already a, a, ahead of the game and plotting a Final Four run in their backyard in Phoenix. Obviously, Bobby Hurley, competitive with his brother Dan Hurley, just saw him win the national championship, was at the game pulling for his brother, their dad, famous New Jersey high school basketball coach. But um, they've been abroad. They went to Greece. Uh, they traveled all over Europe as a team, ASU. And Bobby Hurley came back and he said, not only are we going to the Big 12, I think we're going to go to the Final Four and we're ahead of schedule. So I'm just putting it out there. They are opening the season in the Barstool Sports Classic. Uh, so I, I think that'll be our first time that we get to see them. FAU will also be there. But Bobby Hurley's fired up and he's talking that talk. So Dan Hurley winning a national championship was great for the show because now we have a sibling rivalry. I love sibling rivalries. I have a, I have an older brother who's four years older than me. You're always in competition. And uh, Bobby Hurley says he's on the way. So Bobby Hurley, shout out to you. We'd love to see that. Speaking of FAU, it is secret scrimmage season. We get reports about the secret scrimmages that are ahead. Um, North Carolina, my North Carolina Tar Heels, are set to play Florida Atlantic and a secret scrimmage team coming off a of Final Four. Dusty Mays, the head coach, uh, you know, he's America's sweetheart at this point. And we're going to see these two teams play each other. Will we get a score? Will we get shots? Will we get video? Nobody knows. That is the, you know, the catch 22 of secret scrimmage season. But I think we're going to get something. And also, uh, Kansas is going to be playing in an open secret scrimmage for the first time. And that uh, all the proceeds are going to Maui. So uh, we got some good. There's some actually good stuff happening in secret scrimmage season. But there's also still the quintessential secret scrimmages. And they're happening. FAU, US, UNC are going to play each other. That's great. Um, shout out to Bruce Pearl, Kyle. Did you see this? Bruce Pearl is on Twitter. And Bruce Pearl has some thoughts. He has been tweeting a lot. This summer, politically, he is very concerned about the 2024 presidential race. <laughs> uh, and if you don't follow him, you can go check it out. But he was ripping Joe Biden this weekend, the Biden administration. Um, I don't know what this has to do with college basketball, but I, I follow Bruce Pearl. I'm trying to keep up with the times. I have never seen someone so blatantly out there. And the thing about it, Kyle, is that the the fans of the Tigers that are that are in the mentions, they're fired up and they love it. So I, I don't know what's happening. Is Bruce Pearl going to one day run for office? It sure looks like it. It would be um, the first guy in his type of position to do so, right? Tommy Tuberville, right? It was yeah. at Auburn and did the same thing. Kyle, you're on it. So I, I believe that Bruce Pearl... He might, unlike Bobby Hurley, who's thinking about the Final Four, he might be thinking about running uh, for office very, very soon. So Bruce Pearl is out there. Shout out to him. Um, shout out to Aliens, Kyle. Did you see this? Aliens are real. Um, oh, but but also, they're not, right? So the the aliens that were shown in Mexico, th this is classic space cash move from the, from the Mexican government. They are trying to get ahead of aliens. They said, not only do we have aliens, we have their bodies. They showed their bodies on <laughs> video. They're the guys from Men in Black. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. They're like the, the little ETS characters. Um, a lot of people have had fun with this. They've talked about how how many they could beat up, right? Everyone's given their number. Um, did you see the carcasses? And what are your thoughts, Kyle? How do you feel about aliens? <laughs> I mean, is it debunked yet? It's, that's really what I was it is know, waiting debunked. for. Okay, the, it's debunked. The, the, car the carcasses that were shown have been debunked. They are non-alien <laughs> figures. And I don't know what they are, but they are not aliens. I was just trying to think, what would it, is this a tourism ploy? Like, is it like maybe we can get a solid month of people flying down to see these guys? And uh, you know, buying keychains along the way just just before they debunk this, but I don't I don't see what you pretty like you you de 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 delegitimize pretty much anything coming out of this uh, right 
this section uh, of the government for, I don't know, ever now. <laughs> like, Yeah, I, I know Tom DeLong, uh, Blink-182 fame. He's the one that's like super into aliens and he's been saying it for years. Like there's a lot of people that are on this beat, right? I mean, everyone talks about alien, Joe Rogan, all these figures talk about aliens. I just think the aliens have done a really poor PR rollout in general, right? It needed to be scarier. It needed to be threatening. It needed to be large looming. But instead, I feel like we've just gotten like flying saucers and little ETS characters. And we've all been like, yeah, we're still sticking to the 50s. Nothing like, <laughs> yeah, nothing like alien. Not not scary at all. We're not worried about these things. Uh, this is not what we expected. Uh, we expected Prometheus. It is not that. So um, I think that's the problem with aliens. They, they really have done a bad job. And I think we haven't seen the real ones. So maybe they come out. But apparently they are real. So shout out to them. Um, big move uh, for the aliens, and uh, I'm sure they have a more proper name. We're we're dumb. We always call something the wrong name, so they're gonna come down and be like, "Do not call us aliens. You guys are the aliens." And then we'll figure it out from there. Um, speaking of aliens on a basketball court, shout out to Mac McClung, uh, dunk champion. Mac McClung signs with the Orlando Magic. They are calling it Mac Magic. I hope that he makes the team. The Magic are a fun team. Our guy Saruti's got to be fired up about this. Um, did you see this, Kyle? Because Mac McClung is Riff Raff's cousin. People forget. Uh, yeah, so I've always got a, a special place in my heart for Mac and and, uh, and Jody. But um, yeah, I did not see this. Uh, I was, did not. <laughs> well, well, put it put it on the headline board. Mac McClung back to the Magic. And uh, Magic Mac is going to be great. I'm fired up about it. We need to see it. And uh, hope, he, hope he makes the roster, right? That's all we can ask for. Um, making rosters is a great segue into this. Kai Jones of the Charlotte Hornets, one of my favorite prospects of all time. I remember back in the day, myself and Jonathan Charks, he was on Texas, so Charks was right on top of this guy, saw the talent. We were both uh, flabbergasted by some of his athletic feats at times. Um, other times we were flabbergasted by the insane, insanely dumb passes or shots he would take, but you would get the good with the bad. But Kai Jones is on Twitter right now. He is on IG Live, and he is Doing going at everything. <laughs> he's go yes, he's winning. Duh, he is going insane right now. Um, un unlike anything we've ever seen. And I joked about this a couple of years ago with my Hornets. I was like, if we're not going to be good, we at least need to be entertaining. And I do think that Kai Jones has he has heeded that message because he is going. He says that he could beat LeBron James in one hundred and one. He says that Mark Williams, who presumably will be starting over him, has never made a shot going left. And to please show him the tape of that, I'm not sure if anyone's pulling the tape, but someone should go look it up right now. Um, he has said that he is a better player than Lamelo Ball, by all accounts, the franchise player of the team, and he's not really backing down, Kyle. So I don't know what's going on. Um, I just know that Kai Jones is making a name for himself right now. Maybe not in the best way, but sometimes you got to log off. And I, I think when he said he was going to beat LeBron James one on one, that was about the moment. I think that was the that was the crestfall moment where maybe you get offline. Yeah, he's doing the Levar Ball thing, and the reason the Levar Ball thing was like interesting is because like Levar Ball doesn't play. This stuff is mm. never going to happen. He's just right. saying, "Wow!" Like we're all like we kind of feel bad for him a little bit. It's a little bit funny, whatever. But like this guy is going to be. He's on a team and he plays, so it's like, you know, you you get it's like into the Dylan Brooks hateable territory, and I just, you know, maybe just turn back before you go too far down this, uh, far down this persona path. Yeah, IG Live is not helping either because it'd be one well, who thing. Who has ever helped, by the way? Who is, yeah, right. Who has Live ever helped? Like, I think that should on. be like a class now when you go to college. It's like things that you shouldn't do on social media, right? Go on IG Live. I mean, going live in general has never been great, right? I mean, even on TV. 
<laughs> they have a delay on television. I mean, because of this. I mean, Janet Jackson, shout out to her. That was Timberlake's fault. We all know it. But I mean, in general, you got to have a delay. And on IG Live, there is no delay. And we've seen Ja Moran obviously get in trouble on IG Live. Kai Jones is on IG Live right now. Kids at home, don't go live. Uh, maybe that's a mantra that we we make t-shirts. Just don't go live. You can go live to tape. Always <laughs> right. go live to tape. But you, you should not go live to live. It's not going to be good. Um, let's keep going here. Shout out to KD and Drake. They were in Austin, Texas at Texas Basketball Facility. KD was with the men's team. Um, you know, checking out his, uh, you know, he's basically the ambassador for the basketball program outside of Matthew McConaughey. And then it's Kevin Durant. It's those two guys. So shout out to KD. Love to see him back. Also love that he loves college basketball. So that was good news. On the flip side, though, I think Drake is making his way to be the main character of OSP. He just somehow is in the mix of everything related to what we were talking about on the show. In case you missed it, the women's basketball team at Texas, their coach, I guess, you know, there's some people that fawn over her. I'm sure the spun has an article on it, but Drake also must have seen the spun article because he was strictly with the women's basketball team. And a lot of people were coming at Drake, <laughs> um, you know, like he's got exes in Texas, like George Strait. I mean, there's a lot of comments about Drake making moves over there. So we're not sure what he's up to, but I do know he's around the Texas women's basketball program as Drake is prone to do. And uh, Calipari had to be shook because we remember last year, Texas, that a lot of Kentucky fans, someone came to the game with a sign that said, please go to Texas for Calipari. And then all of a sudden he looks up and Drake's at Texas. That's supposed to be his guy. They went to his mansion earlier in the year, you know, so a lot of connective tissue that, uh, you know, Drake is, there could be concern in the Calipari guy's uh, kingdom right now. Is he losing Drake? Is Drake turning to Texas and KD? We're not really sure. So we know Drake always has room for more teams. We just know that. I think uh, he's probably on on Inter Miami. I'm sure he's sniffing around Wrexham to see if they have a nice year. You know, I think think he's uh, he's always got a jersey of every team. Like you, you could just think like you think of Rhode Island and Drake's like, yeah, got got a Drake jersey, Rhode Island jersey. Went to a game. Shout out Patino. Maybe you should be uh, maybe you should be recruiting Drake because he is also recruiting more kids. Is this guy? Is this a guy or is this just a name that sounds like a guy? New Jersey star Jaden Glover, the Mm. latest uh, St. John's recruit for 2024. Uh, It sounds like Petito's getting Jersey back uh, as well as New York. And I think that's pretty cool. He loves New York City basketball. He thinks it's the best version of basketball. He's going to own New York City. New Jersey's included in that package. So, yeah, I... I've never seen this kid play. I'm going to be okay. honest, but he just—he's got a name that sounds I like, like a guy. The, I didn't know. You're right. I didn't know if it was a, a guy. No, or he, sa- just a, a he sounds like, like guy. a guy. Joe Tipton says he's a guy. Rick Pitino recruited him. He must be a guy. And he also had Ron Artest, aka Meta Artest, aka the artist formerly known as Meta World Peace, at practice. So the fact that Pitino is kind of tapping back into, like, I'm sure Chris Mullen will be at a practice, right? He's kind of like. He's getting into the core of what the Johnnies want. And I think the red storm is really on the way, right? We're going to start seeing a red glaze over things in New York City. And it's that Patino just freaking ego, that Patino just charisma, that moxie, whatever you want to call it. Rick Patino's here. The aura is here. And uh, more four and five stars on the way. I, I don't think it ends very Tate, soon. Am I, am I one name behind on Meta World Peace? Yeah, he's Meta Artest now. Okay. And then while we're here, where, where is Diddy at right now? Do you know? Diddy is love. He is love. Okay. So all, cap, love all, or? All, all caps love. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Just for the album. Sure. He is all caps love. Yeah. I look, I take a lot of pride in trying to keep up because I never want to call someone the wrong name um, ever. And when I interviewed uh, Meta Artest for, for Five Star, 
I thought he was still meta world peace, you know? So when I opened the interview, I was like, how's it going? You know, meta, great to see you. Da, da, da. And then I said something about like, I wish you could have had your world peace on the back of whatever Jersey at five star. And he's like, it's our test. And I was like, bang. Okay. okay. Good to know. Very I was like, sorry. write that down. Yeah. Keep very, that very sorry. sorry. Yeah. He's like, don't, don't ever say that again. I was like, okay, all right, move on, moving on. Uh, but no, great to see him at practice. He is, um, I think Meta Artest is a great person just to have in a room, right? He's just a great vibe. Everyone kind of feeds off his energy, and I'm sure the kids loved it. So that was great to see. Great for Rick Pitino to be out there. Great to see him recruiting so well. Um, another great thing to see, two great artists and people in general. I saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Martin Short were on the same flight. Took a picture with each other, and I, you know, that that generation of uh, of great people Steve Martin in that class, right? There's there's just like a, you know, Meryl Streep, all all that generation. We got to just pay homage while we have them here. You know what I mean? And I saw that picture and I was like, man, Marty Short's the best. Great guy. I went to Thanksgiving in New York one time at Tavern on the Green with my family and we saw Martin Short there with, uh, you know, Eugene Levy's family. It was the two of them and they were like entertaining the restaurant and I've never seen anything like it, Kyle. So I just want to say great performers are hard to find. And when you got Kareem and you got Marty Short together, it's a good day. So shout yeah, out to them. I, two I really high Q, Q rating guys. Oh, my right? God. E everyone loves them. And if you don't love them, you don't get it. So that was great to see. Um, and last thing for me, last shout out, that is great to see. The Maui Invitational, according to Seth Davis, is likely to remain in Maui. And they're selling T-shirts right now. Um, the funds and the proceeds will be donated back, to, I believe, to the uh, food bank of Maui, but I, I didn't check that directly. But in general, it sounds like the Maui Invitational will be in Maui, and that is always a good day. That's a big deal. On the show. Yeah, it's a big deal. And um, who knows about um, capacity and people involved? Wink, wink. We'll see what happens. Um, in general, me and Kyle would love to be there. We'll see. We'll see. We'll put it out there. We'll put it in the universe. Um, but if we can't be there, we will be supporting, and we love everybody in Lahaina, and we're sending our thoughts and prayers True thoughts and prayers and love. Um, so shout out to them, the My Invitational. That's good news. Um, Kyle, anything else before we get out of here? Any shout outs from you? Sure, just one. How about Dan Dickow sticking up for the little guy? Mm. Uh, he's uh, he's quoted as saying regarding Fox Sports' new uh, basketball proposed tournament, it's an absolute attack on mid-major yes. programs. And I think that's the type of stuff you need when you're in the mid-major game. You need somebody to really to really take it to to the big guys. So good job by him. Good job by him, and it definitely is an attack, and it's an attack on the NIT, as I said on the last show. It's ridiculous. I hate it. Um, I don't work at Fox anymore, so I can I can I can do a Jay Billis and throw my fists in the air and say it's wrong, because um, I do think it's wrong. I think it's ridiculous, but it is all about the money. Duh, we know how it goes. It's always about the money, and and Fox is saying we have these rights. Why not make some more cash with these rights? And uh, you know, you you can't hate the player. You can't hate the game, um, but not the game of basketball, the game of television rights, because that is trying to ruin the game of basketball. And that's a larger conversation. But uh, this has been One Shining Podcast. We appreciate Wes Durham for coming on the show. He's the best. Um, it was awesome to have him on. Kind of like a full circle moment for myself. If you've been tuning into the show, we appreciate you keeping up with the OSP in the offseason. We're very excited as we creep closer and closer. I think we're 52 days away right now from college basketball, so it's right around the corner. Shout out to John Rothstein, who's doing, he's been doing a countdown since like 365 days, <laughs> it feels like. Um, I know that's just a great engagement tweet. We love to see it. Um, we'll be back on Monday. Kyle Mann back in the building. Um, I'm going to start calling them Manic Mondays. 
I think that's the best. That's, that's wow. the best we you can just do. Kept that to yours. You didn't even tell me about that. That's great. Yeah, Manic Mondays uh, with Kyle Mann. That's coming up um, next week. We'll see you on Monday. Appreciate everyone listening. This is One Shining Podcast. And again, see you then. Yeah.